This is Reset. I'm Jen White. This morning, Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot's office sent out a one-line email to newsrooms across the city. It read simply, Mayor Lightfoot will hold a press conference to make an announcement. Shortly after, she fired the city's top cop, Eddie Johnson. The move was particularly stunning in its timing. It comes just weeks ahead of his scheduled retirement. In a press conference this morning, Lightfoot said Johnson, quote, repeatedly lied to her. Today I'm announcing that I terminated Eddie Johnson's employment as superintendent of the Chicago Police Department for cause effective immediately. It has become clear that Mr. Johnson engaged in a series of actions that are intolerable, for any leader in a position of trust, particularly the head of the Chicago Police Department. With me now for more on this developing story is WBEZ criminal justice reporter Shannon Heffernan. Hey, Shannon. Hey. Okay, how much detail did we get about why Mayor Lightfoot says she's firing Eddie Johnson? So we didn't get a ton of detail, but let let me set up what we do know so far and what's happened so far. In October, Eddie Johnson was found asleep in his car at around 1230 a.m. Police were responding to a 911 call and found him. Uh, Johnson said he had forgotten to take a medication. He's been having some health problems recently, and that medication led him to become uh, sleepy and uh, pull over in his car. Um, His spokesperson said it was not related to alcohol, although Johnson did say he had a couple of drinks that night. Um, Johnson requested an investigation. As we heard, the inspector general did an investigation. um, And um, Essentially, shortly after that, Johnson announced his retirement. Um, He said he would be uh, retiring at the end of this month. Um, There was sort of a spirit of celebration of the time that he had done. Um, And then this new information seems to hint that there was something in the inspector general's report that Lightfoot did not know at that time. And now he will be uh, fired immediately. Well, let's hear a little bit more from that press conference this morning. Eddie Johnson intentionally lied to me several times, even when I challenged him about the narrative that he shared with me. He maintained that he was telling the truth. Had I known these facts at the time, I would have relieved him of his duties as superintendent then and there. I certainly would not have participated in a celebratory press conference to announce his retirement. Mr. Johnson failed the hardworking members of the Chicago Police Department. He intentionally misled the people of Chicago, and he intentionally misled me. None of that is acceptable. So a much different tone than that original announcement of his retirement. Right. You heard in that clip her talking about, I certainly want to participate in a celebration of him. At that press conference, when he announced his retirement, she was gushing over him, talking about his integrity and how good he had done as an officer. So a real switch in tone. Today, when she was talking, she seemed visibly angry and upset at him. Um, She mentioned that um, he couldn't be part of the old Chicago way. We know that Mayor Lightfoot campaigned um, to end corruption in Chicago. So this is potentially something that could be embarrassing for her if she didn't take immediate action. Um, She also talked about how rank and file officers are held accountable when they do something wrong. And often the higher-ups, who may have even directed them them to do whatever thing that they got fired for, aren't held accountable. So she felt a real need to hold leadership accountable when they had done something wrong. And that was part of the question around this um, event of him being found in his car, was how officers who responded to the scene, how they reacted to finding him there. Just remind us a little bit of what happened. So he was found asleep in his car um, in response to this 911 call. And... um, 
officers let him go home that night. Um, I don't know if we know too many more details about that. Today, uh, uh, Lightfoot said that the inspector general's report may become public at some point, but she wasn't going to speak to that. She referenced multiple times that she didn't want to... um, uh, hurt his wife or his children or embarrass them, which I thought was uh, interesting, something that may give us some insight into what kind of details we might be uh, hearing. But I would say that uh, the details are kind of opaque at this moment. We do know that it had something to do with deception. She said repeatedly that he deceived not only the public, but had repeatedly lied to her. So something that he had not stepped forward um, in being honest about what happened that night. What happens next? There was already an interim superintendent uh, who was lined up to step in for Eddie Johnson after he retired at the end of the year. I'm assuming that timetable has moved up. Yeah, my guess is that so Los Angeles Police Chief, former Los Angeles Police Chief uh, Charlie Beck was tapped as the interim police superintendent and there would be a search for the next permanent superintendent. Our working assumption at this point is that he'll likely be taking over sooner. Uh, Lori Lightfoot did not get into the specifics about that at the press conference. Have we heard anything from Eddie Johnson at this point? No, he did originally say that he was completely unworried about the inspector general's report. I don't think we know at this time if that was just uh, a line he was giving or there was something he knew was going to come out and he was just trying to delay that. Well, we should say this comes at a time when CPD is under a consent decree. Um, some of the, the benchmarks for that consent decree have already been missed. It's being overseen by a federal judge. Seems like a very complicated time for the police department. Yeah, I think this is a really important time for the Chicago Police Department. We uh, recently uh, entered the consent decree, as you mentioned. I think the shadow of Laquan McDonald um, still hangs over the Chicago Police Department. And I think part of the reason you can imagine that Lori Lightfoot felt the need to be uh, so firm today is if the police department isn't perceived as um, being honest and living up to the highest integrity possible, this is a real rough moment where that trust can that they're working hard to repair or uh, saying they're working hard to repair um, could, could be broken. It's really fragile at this moment. Well, and this is complicates the transition as well. And I wonder what you think about this leadership change. It's a much, much different uh, transition if the superintendent retires and an interim steps in. It's another thing if he's fired just a few weeks before he's scheduled to retire. I would assume that would upset uh, the the structure somewhat of CPD. Any insight into that? I think it makes it much more fraught and much more delicate. But I also think, I mean, it was already so fraught and so delicate, and there are already so many problems we're discussing in the Chicago Police Department. In terms of how things play out on the ground, I'm not sure how much this is going to mean for the people that they're trying to repair trust with. I don't know how how much this one more stick on the camel's back is going to mean for the general public. What will you be watching as this story continues to develop? Because it is very much a developing story. Um, I will be curious how many details we get from the inspector general and how quickly we get those details. I'll be interested to see if Johnson at this point changes his story or if he just waits for those details to come up from the inspector general. Um, 
I'll be interested really in how a lot of rank and file police officers respond to this. As Lori Lightfoot alluded to in her speech, often rank and file officers are held accountable for mistakes that they make, even while higher ups were involved and are not held accountable. So I'll be curious to see what it means to folks in the rank and file to see Johnson held accountable in this moment. If they rush to his defense or if they feel like this is a sign that leadership will help be held accountable in the same way they are. So I'll be interested to see how those folks respond. That's WBEZ criminal justice reporter Shannon Heffernan. And for more on this story as it develops, continue listening to WBEZ on 91.5 or visit WBEZ.org. Shannon, thanks. Thank you. On Friday, political consultant Elena Hampton reached a $275,000 settlement in a federal lawsuit against Illinois House Speaker Mike Madigan's political committees. We should note that the settlement also says the Madigan committees are not admitting liability or wrongdoing. The settlement comes nearly two years after Hampton came forward with allegations of sexual harassment against a former top aide to Madigan. Hampton is now leading a Me Too support group for those who have experienced workplace harassment. Their first meeting kicks off tomorrow at Great Central Brewing Company in the West Loop. Hampton stopped by the studio to talk about her decision to go public. So you first went public with sexual harassment allegations back in March of 2018. Talk about the decision to go public and share your story. Um, My decision to go public is that I wasn't able... I wasn't getting the resolution I needed when I was trying to handle it privately. And I felt like the only way I was going to achieve what I needed to um, get foreclosure is if I told the truth about it um, publicly, because so many people had been asking why I left the organization. And I often would just, you know, beat around the bush and say I was moving on, Um, you know, most people didn't believe that because I was very loyal. Um, and, you know, I don't think it was very shocking for a lot of people when when they found out I was the, the woman that had those accusations against Kevin because um, I think it answered a lot of questions people had as to why I left. And you're referring to Kevin Quinn there. Kevin Quinn, yeah. You said people weren't surprised. When, they weren't surprised to find out I was the woman. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, it was released that he was fired the day before my press conference and, uh, several elected officials had reached out and said, as soon as, uh, Kevin Quinn was fired, I knew you were the woman because it never made sense why you left. How has your life changed since then? It has really been a a dramatic change. Um, you know, that year after I left the organization, it was really painful um, I wasn't, I wasn't able to find closure at all. I, I was constantly searching for a way to move on and I couldn't. Um, since speaking out publicly, you know, uh, it's, I, I often have to be a pillar of strength for other people. You know, I always have to put on a, a brave face for, um, you know, to show other women or other victims of abuse that, Uh, It's possible to get through this, but the reality is that it has been really difficult. And, um, you know, I I would always suggest thoroughly thinking through what you're what you're doing. If you ever decide to to speak out about something like this publicly, I was I am a very privileged person. I came I come from a family that has the ability to help me. Um, And, you know, without their support, this would have been tremendously more difficult. And for that is something that helped me in my decision to come out 
to come forward publicly because I know there are so many people that don't have that support system and those are the people that have to suffer uh, time and time again they don't have the ability to quit their job because you know they might have children to feed and those are things I didn't have to think about when I when I made this decision you said you were seeking some sort of resolution or closure privately first what would have helped you in that process what would have helped me is having a conversation with uh, Speaker Madigan and Marty Quinn. Um, you know, I worked with them for a very long time. Um, I, uh, you know, five years of my 20s, the only job I had out of college. And um, I just never felt like I got to tell them how much it had impacted my life. You know, the, the harassment took place for five months. Uh, the reason I took so long to report it is because the only person I could report it to was my harasser's brother. Um, if that weren't the case, I'm sure I would have reported it far sooner. But by the time the five months had gone by, I was just a very crippled person. I was afraid to go to work. I was afraid to, you know, every time I got a notification on my phone, I was afraid to look at it. Um, so it it was it has been a very painful process, but I'm fortunately kind of trying to close the chapter on that part of my life and move forward it's been since the harassment started it's been over three years so um, it's been it's taken up a lot of time in my life for people who aren't familiar with their story just in broad strokes I don't expect you to go into fine detail about what you experienced but just help us understand a little bit of what you were going through so Kevin Quinn is the brother of Alderman Marty Quinn uh, Kevin was a supervisor of mine. He often dictated what campaigns I was working on, um, as well Marty did too. And Kevin began messaging me, um, you know, asking me out. And I would ask, or I would tell him, no, I'm not interested in dating someone I'm working with. Um, particularly, he wasn't interested in dating the brother of my mentor. And, um, no matter how many times I would tell him I didn't want to date him or go out with him, he would still ask me out over and over and over again. And if I wouldn't respond to him, he would text me about work. So it was his way of getting me to speak to him because he knew I would always respond about work. It was really like a, a mind control type of thing. Um, and I didn't want to let Marty Quinn down or Speaker Madigan down, and I didn't want Kevin to tell them that I wasn't cooperating with what I was supposed to be doing for work. Um, it was really manipulative, and um, I honestly, I just didn't know how to handle the situation, which is why it went on for so long. You said you weren't comfortable going to your direct supervisor, but did you find other people in Springfield who you could talk to or, or seek advice from? Yeah, uh, there are so many people that knew about it. Um, I sought advice from many people that worked in the organization, um, from elected officials that I've worked with in the past, uh, from friends. And the reality is that no one knew what to do. I think there are people who uh, wanted to be helpful, but given how powerful Speaker Madigan is and the fear that people have of him, no one was willing to go to, you know, a top administrator and say, hey, this is happening. 
we need to help her. And when I tell you that a lot of people knew about it, I'm, I mean at least 30 people knew about it, including probably 10 people that actually work in the organization itself. As I mentioned earlier, you did receive a settlement. Um, the political organizations, political committees um, are not admitting liability or wrongdoing. Kevin Quinn was fired. Are you are you satisfied with where this has landed? I, you know, I'm happy there's a resolution. Um, you know, it's a standard settlement agreement. Um, you know, I obviously am not going to talk about the details mm-hmm. of it, Um I'm glad to be able to close this chapter on my life and move on. Um, You know, I was 27 when this started, and I'm 30 now. Uh, That's a huge chunk of my young life. And, um, you know, dealing with, you know, the whisper campaigns that have happened and, you know, elected officials that are afraid to work with me um, and all of the friendships I've lost through this. Um, has just been remarkably painful, and I just want to put it behind me and let that go. What are your employment prospects at this point? So I have been hired f- with a national democratic consulting firm um, as a 501c3 and c4 director. So I'll be working with nonprofits and cause campaigns. And since my network in Chicago is quite large, They've asked if I would also work with political candidates, the ones that are willing to work with me. So um, I begin that in January. But it sounds like you have some concern about what this means for your future in politics. Um, I mean, I, I think it, getting hired with a national democratic firm is uh, a great step for me. Um, I do get to work in Chicago, so I'm starting their Chicago office. And... Um, you know, this it's campaign cycle right now. It's starting right now. And I am, have been working with a few people. So I think things are on the up and up. There are always going to be the people that are fiercely loyal to um, the people I was suing. And, you know, that's that's their decision. And, you know, I, there's nothing I can do about that. So it's been reported that of the overall settlement, um, you'll receive $75,000, but the rest of it will go toward legal fees as well as donations to the Time's Up Legal Defense Fund. Talk about how you'd like to see that money used. So the legal fees, so the $80,000 that's going to Time's Up is actually because Time's Up was helping pay for my legal fees during um, the litigation. Um, I'm a client of Time's Up. And um, they've been very supportive and helped move that case along because my attorneys were working unpaid essentially for almost two years. So, um, you know, I'm I'm happy with how that landed. My my attorneys worked very hard and uh, they deserve every penny that they got. You've organized a Me Too meetup tomorrow in the West Loop and the event is open to anyone who's been affected by workplace harassment. Why was this an important next step for you? It was important because I the hardest part of the situation for me was the recovery aspect. Um, you know, I think we have organizations that exist to help, you know, women pay for legal fees or pay for PR, like Time's Up. They've helped in both of those aspects for me. But there never seems to be a landing spot um, for, for victims. And that's where I've struggled the most. And I I haven't sought therapy very much throughout this process. And that's because in my lawsuit, 
I was seeking uh, damages for emotional distress and mental health trauma. And if you're seeking damages for that, uh, discovery notes and therapy are discoverable in a lawsuit. So I found that that caused me additional anxiety, the thought of going to a therapist and those notes being, um, you know, submitted to discovery. And it was already very invasive. You know, my text messages were were tracked and my emails were tracked. Um, it was extremely invasive. So uh, NPR wrote this profile on me in September, and it was about my, um, you know, emotional and mental health uh, struggles through this. And people reach out to me on social media all the time, and one woman said, you know, I, I've been, I'm in a similar situation. I've been searching for a support group, and I can't find one. And I just thought, you know, who else to, to do it than me? So I put together this event uh, tomorrow, and uh, after the new year, I plan to continue uh, having a monthly meetup where I want to focus it around wellness, so maybe like a group, you know, yoga sessions or uh, like wellness events where I want to focus it around, you know, mental health and emotional health healing. And for this first event? The first event, I have a panel coming. So I have someone coming from Women Employed who helped work on the sexual harassment legislation that passed this year. Um, I have someone coming from Healing to Action, which is an action arm of Time's Up. So she's going to discuss what Healing to Action does and then also the resources that Time's Up can provide. And then I have a woman coming to talk about diversity and inclusion because I think a lot of times these feminist movements leave some of the most uh, vulnerable uh, members of our society behind. And um, and then I'm going to be moderating. And I also have a therapist coming. Mm. Now you're also planning to launch a not-for-profit before yeah. the end of the year. What can you tell yeah. us about that? So I'm in the process of... Uh, uh, incorporating it as a nonprofit, it takes quite a bit of time with the IRS. But um, what I plan to do is have a foundation that helps pay for recovery treatment options for victims of workplace harassment and abuse. And I, I'm going to start it off as the recovery options being, you know, traditional therapy, trauma informed yoga, and trauma informed meditation because I don't think recovery looks the same for everybody. So I want to make sure um, I'm reaching different types of, uh, of people with what they need. Now, your case put a spotlight on how women are treated in Illinois politics. To your mind, what would you like to see policymakers do to combat sexual harassment in Springfield? Well, I think what I would like to see first and foremost is them um, even saying that something wrong happened. You know, I'm in a position here still to this day where Kevin Quinn was just paid $30,000 after he was fired by close allies and still very few Democratic legislators have said um, anything about it. And um, it's really disappointing. And um, I, what do I want them to do? I want them to just take a stand and say, you know, this is wrong. And um, moving forward, you know, I'm going to be talking to legislators about the issue I was just telling you about uh, therapy notes being discoverable in, in a lawsuit for this. You know, that is uh, chilling for a victim to have to go through. And there's so much work to be done. And fortunately, 
since my story came public, a lot of laws have changed, but there's definitely more work to be done. That's political consultant Elena Hampton. Elena, thanks for speaking with us. Yeah, thank you. That's it for Reset. Keep in touch with the show via Twitter. We're at WBEZ Reset, and I'm at Jay White Pub Radio. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening, and let's talk again soon. Music.